Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Bridgepoint Church. Stay tuned after the podcast for a short message, but for now, let's jump right in. Today we are wrapping up this series we've been in called As It Is in Heaven. And the series title comes from Jesus' words because I'm not great with series titles, so I just steal from Jesus, and it's a good place to steal from, I guess. And it comes from his prayer where he says, when you pray, you should ask God that your kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we've talked about the fact that that reveals to us that Jesus' mission was not simply to die and rise again so we go to heaven when we die. But Jesus understood his mission to actually be bringing heaven to earth. That's like he spent every moment of his life trying to bring heaven to earth. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we should probably do the things that he did, which means committing ourselves to his mission of bringing heaven to earth. But as we explored uh, that we can't actually bring heaven to earth until we've experienced that transformation in our own lives. So one week it was in my life as it is in heaven. Last week we looked at the fact that as As our lives start to experience the transformation that Jesus brings, our church will start to change as well. And we'll become an outpost of heaven in a world that oftentimes feels like hell. And so last week was all about in our church as it is in heaven. And today we're going to kind of reach the culmination of this series where we're finally going to talk about on earth as it is in heaven. And what I want to do is I want to look at some of my favorite verses. I don't know if you're allowed to have favorite Bible verses, but some of my favorite verses come from this portion of of Luke chapter 4, but before we dive into that, I got to set the the stage for you, because otherwise you're going to think this is a really weird set of verses to like have be your favorite verses, and it's important that we understand that Jesus was Jewish, and the reason that's important is because everything that he says and does is within a first century Jewish context. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, it's really the story of God's people, the nation of Israel. And we oftentimes will read these commands in the Old Testament as if they were laws and rules and regulations where God just didn't want his people to have any fun, right? Like, I'm just going to put all these things on you so you're weighed down with commandments when really that was not God's intention at all. In fact, the reason that we have all those commands and regulations is because God wanted to create for himself a people who would live as if heaven had come to earth. So they were supposed to live differently from the rest of the world. So there's certainly some things that made them distinct, like eating kosher and circumcision and Sabbath and all that stuff. But then there are some things that were commands just so that the world would see what heaven on earth looks like. So they were supposed to forgive all debt, and they were supposed to release every slave and return all land to its original owner. In fact, all of those commands were part of something that they called the year of Jubilee, or the year of the Lord's favor. Because how many of you know, if your debt is forgiven, the favor of the Lord is on you. Amen? All right, so they looked forward to that day, except the problem is that in the Old Testament, God's people never actually practiced the year of Jubilee. It never actually happened. And that's just one in a long list of commands that ultimately God's people stopped following. They stopped showing the world what heaven on earth is like. And God said, I'm not going to force myself on you. You don't have to be in a relationship with me. He removed his protection. Israel's enemies come in and conquer them. So by the time Jesus steps on the scene, they're actually living under Roman occupation. And when they're living under Roman occupation, they're looking forward to the day when God would send a savior, a Messiah, somebody who would free God's people, reestablish his kingdom on earth, and one of the signs will be that the year of the Lord's favor would be on them again. Like all of those things they didn't practice would be practiced again. Are we tracking so far? 
All right, that's all the background you need to know to jump in and understand Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. It said, he, meaning Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So it starts by saying, Jesus went to the synagogue, as was his custom. So you have the temple in Jerusalem, but then other towns would have synagogues where Jewish people would go and there'd be a time of worship and and there'd be a little teaching and there was always scripture reading involved. And on the Sabbath day, when they read scripture, there were actually seven different scriptures that were read. Most of them came from the law or the first five books of our Old Testament. And then someone would read from the prophets and when they read from the prophets, they were allowed to pick whatever section that they wanted to. And so Jesus goes to the synagogue, and apparently he was selected that day as one of the people who would read from the prophets. The person kind of facilitating the service hands him the scroll of Isaiah, and he like kind of, I don't know if you thumb through or what, but he opens up the scroll, and he goes to this very specific prophecy in Isaiah about the year of the Lord's favor, where there's good news for the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, all that stuff, heaven's coming to earth. And then it says Jesus went and sat down, and everyone's eyes were fixed on him. Now, why is that important? Well, in our context, if somebody were to read something and sit down, they would be done with that part of the service. But, but in Jesus' day, when you went to go teach, you would teach from a sitting posture. So it would be the equivalent of if I read a scripture and then grabbed a microphone and stood in front of you, you'd be waiting to see what I'm going to say about this. Jesus reads this, he sits down, and I would love to have been there because I think it's like so silent you could hear a pin drop. And Jesus begins his teaching by saying today this scripture is fulfilled in other words all the stuff that you've been waiting for like I've come to do that I've come to bring good news to the poor recovery of sight to the blind to free the oppressed I've come to bring the year of jubilee heaven is coming to earth that's Jesus proclamation and at first people are excited and then they get frustrated with him they're like wait a second Jesus we know you're from Nazareth like nothing good comes from Nazareth and so that the story takes a left-hand turn but this is so essential because Jesus doesn't just bring heaven to earth in reading this scripture he reveals what it looks like for you and me to actually partner with him in his mission And there's a number of things we could talk about. I mean, we could spend the rest of our lives talking about what it looks like to bring heaven to earth. But I want to point out four things this morning from this passage that Jesus did and how that relates to what we're going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. So the first thing that I want us to understand is that Jesus spent time with the poor and the marginalized. Like Jesus said, he came to bring good news to the poor. 
The gospel is good news. And, and by the way, in that culture, the, the poor were grouped in with everybody else who was viewed as sinners. Like they, they viewed if you were poor, then that was obviously God's judgment on you. You had done something wrong. And we may not have that same attitude necessarily, but I think some of us come very close to that attitude because we look at people who are poor and we say, well, you're just lazy you're not motivated, you've made poor choices, and we can be very easy to dismiss people living in poverty. But at the same time, it's easy for us to push people away, even if they're not poor, but they're just different from us. They vote differently than us. They look differently than us. They believe differently than us. It's really easy to push those people away and only spend time with the people that we enjoy. And by the way, there's people I love spending time with. I don't think Jesus is against that. But he actually told his followers, when you throw a party, don't just invite the people who are going to invite you to their party and return the favor. Like, actually go out and invite the people who can't pay you back. Go out and invite the people who are poor. Go out and invite the people who are sick. Go out and invite the people that other people look as sinners and people that should be avoided because that's what heaven on earth looks like. Take the people who are on the margins and bring them to the center. And I think for all of us, there's a question we need to be asking ourselves, and that's who am I willing to open my life up to? Who am I willing to do that? Are there people that we know of, maybe they grate on our nerves, maybe we, and and listen, I understand there's some people, like, I don't love talking politics, and there's some people like, that's your jam, like, we can hang out, let's just not talk about that stuff, but are there people that you know you avoid because, oh, here we go again, it's going to be this whole other thing, will we open up our lives to them? Because see, here's the amazing thing. I think that the next great movement of God is not going to happen around a stage. It's going to happen around a dinner table. It's not going to happen in a sanctuary. It's going to happen in your dining room. It's when we actually invite people into our lives and into our homes. This is what Jesus did, right? We know he went to the synagogue and we know he taught. But don't we have a lot more record of what Jesus did when he was out and about than what he did in the synagogue? Listen, I am all for church, right? I'm a pastor. I'm all for what we do here on Sunday mornings. But I actually think what happens Monday to Saturday is far more important than what happens for an hour on Sunday morning. And who is it in your neighborhood? Who is it in your family? Who is it at your work that maybe you need to invite into your life? And I'll be like, you guys know I'm an introvert, right? This is hard. I'm preaching to myself this morning because I like to be around my people and in my space. But the reality is this doesn't have to be one more thing that we do. It's just, are we going to invite people to the things we're already doing? Hey, I've got, you know, I've got kids in basketball, but if I'm going to a game, why don't I just invite somebody to come along with me? Hey, I'm going to go out to eat anyway. I might as well invite somebody to eat with me. I'm going to sit at the coffee shop for five hours. Might as well ask someone to sit across from me for a little bit. Can we just invite people into the things that we are already doing? Who can we open up our lives to? So so Jesus spent time with the poor and the marginalized. The second thing I want to explore is the fact that Jesus met physical needs. Like, if you look at Jesus' ministry, there's a ton of record of this, right? He's healing people. He's casting out demons, raising people from the dead. That's a pretty big physical need to meet. But he also fed people. He was around people. He served people. He washed their feet. He met physical needs. And the reality is, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to meet physical needs as well. 
And I don't know about you, but I know like I grew up in a context where I felt like, okay, we serve physical needs just so we can slip in like a spiritual message. So I'm going to give you some food, but then I got to preach at you as well. And there's nothing wrong with talking to people about Jesus. But the reality is it's not an either or. It's not like physical needs are down here, but the real need is spiritual. It's a, it's a both and, not an either or. Because when heaven comes to earth, there will be no more people who are hungry. There'll be no more people who lack clean water. There'll be no more people who don't have clothes. All of those needs are going to be met. And when we meet those needs, we're actually bringing heaven to earth. Like that is gospel work. It's not like only gospel work if you tell people about the Bible. No, you can actually meet those needs. And that in and of itself is gospel work. And I'm just so proud of our church because this is something that we've been doing every Wednesday in June. We call it Woodstock Wednesdays. And every Wednesday in June, we've been doing something to meet needs right here in our community. So we've gone to the Oaks uh, Senior Living Facility and we've served dinner there. And then one other thing we've been doing is that we've been packing meals to help kids who rely on free and reduced lunch who don't get food during the summer. And so we had this very ambitious goal, and I said, I think as a church, we could provide 10 meals a week over the course of the summer. So it's going to be 80 meal kits, and in each meal kit, there's 10 meals. So you guys brought in supplies, and we met together the first week. And in that first week we did this, we packed 72 meal kits. So that's 720 meals that you guys provided and packed, and every, that's 720 meals that kids are going to have that they otherwise wouldn't have. And so I thought, okay, we got eight more to hit our goal. It'd be great if we could do 20 more. And so we met this past Wednesday. And, and the only reason we stopped at 72 is because we ran out of drinks, which is that they, you have twice as many drinks. So you guys brought in more drinks, more food. And then we packed again this Wednesday. We packed another 56 meal kits. So that's 128 meal kits you guys provided. 1,280 meals that we are putting in the hands of kids right here in Cherokee County. That's huge. That's amazing. And the only reason we stopped this time is because we ran out of drinks again and we ran out of lunch stuff. So we still have more food. If you walked in the lobby today, you saw there's food sitting on that black table. So we decided we're going to run it back one more time. We're going to do it later in July. I'm going to see how late in July we can push it. But if you can bring in more drinks, more lunch stuff like mac and cheese or ramen, anything microwavable is great. And I would love if we could get to 160 total meal kits. We're at 120 right now. If we get to 160, that's double what our goal was. And what I love is, is that is gospel work. When we are up here packing and distributing these meals, that is partnering with Jesus to bring heaven to earth. And so the question I want us to wrestle with is what needs can I meet this week? What needs can I meet? And by the way, there, there's physical needs, there's emotional needs, there's all sorts of ways we can serve the people around us. In fact, you guys know I have a, a couple different groups of guys that I meet with on a regular basis. And, and one thing I always challenge those guys with is this is a question that will transform your marriage. Ask your wife, how can I serve you this week? Or what can I do to help you this week? Because when you take on that posture of I'm going to serve other people, they might not have an answer. Like it's not always that they have an answer, but it's just you ask the question. That's the win there. But I promise if you ask it enough, you're going to start getting answers. And what if you didn't just apply that in your marriage, but what if you asked people at your work, what can I do to help you out this week? What if you asked your neighbors, hey, is there anything I can do in any way I can serve you? Well, you start to do that enough, and all of a sudden you become someone who's meeting the needs of people around you, and that's when you start looking more like Jesus. Still tracking so far? 
All right, third thing. Jesus saw every moment as an opportunity. Every moment was an opportunity for him to serve, for him to minister. In fact, I know we talked a couple weeks ago. There's this story um, in the Gospels where uh, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people, and this guy comes up and says, my daughter, she's sick. The doctors can't figure out what's going on. She's about to die. Jesus, can you come heal her? I'm not speeding because I'm dismissive of the story, but I'm just setting this up to tell a different story. So just track with me for one moment. So Jesus is headed to go heal this girl when all of a sudden somebody else comes and touches him. You guys remember this story? And then she's healed and he stops. He has a conversation with her. And in the midst of this conversation, somebody comes up and says, you don't need to heal the little girl. She died. Don't bother Jesus. And he goes and he heals her too. So you have this whole thing. Jesus saw every moment as an opportunity for ministry. He didn't see this interruption as something that should be dismissed or something that even took him off track. And this so impacted Jesus' followers that they took on this same attitude themselves. In fact, I want to look at a story from Acts chapter 8, where I know I mentioned this last week. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his followers, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. By the time you get to Acts chapter 8, you're about to see the gospel message of Jesus is going to go to what they believed was the ends of the earth, and it happens in an unexpected way. We're going to look at Acts chapter 8, starting in verse, where are we? 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. So the story starts with an angel coming to Philip and saying, I want you to go from Jerusalem to Gaza on this desert road. Which, by the way, if you're thinking angel, angel has wings, that's not in the Bible. If you think that, it's probably because of Looney Tunes or medieval uh, artwork or whatever else. Also, and it might just be because I'm weird and have a weird YouTube search history, but I'm getting these like suggested videos of like, here's what actual angels look like based on what the Bible says. And it'll be like a giant eye with flames shooting out of it. And it's like, okay, those are all metaphors in the Bible. That's not what angels actually look like. It'd be like if you drew a picture of it's raining cats and dogs. That would be horrifying, right? I mean, just like dead animals hitting the ground everywhere. So that's not what angels look like. Angel, really, the word just means messenger. And anytime an angel shows up, they have a message. And the message for Philip is, I want you to go from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's got a mission. He knows I have to go from here to there. I don't know about anybody else, but when I have a mission in mind, like I'm singular focused on that. I'm like, all right, this is what we're doing. We're getting it done, and there's nothing that's going to distract me. Well, while Philip is on this road, there happens to be an Ethiopian eunuch. So this is a guy from Ethiopia. He serves high up for the queen. He's over the treasury. And so this is a guy, literally, they thought Ethiopia was the end of the earth. And this guy had apparently come to Jerusalem to worship. He's reading the, the prophet Isaiah out loud. Which, by the way, is that like a comfort to anybody? Like people read out loud, like across generations. If you have to mouth the words to yourself, you're not weird, you're not strange. He's reading it out loud. And then the spirit says, Philip, go up and get in that chariot. Now, if it's me, I'm like, no, I don't have time for this, right? Like I'm going to Gaza. I can't be distracted. But Philip, he's sensitive to what the spirit is saying. And he, gets in, he goes up to the chariot and he says, do you understand what you're reading? 
He said, how can I understand unless someone explains it? Again, comforting that whenever you read the Bible, there's always going to be times, how can I understand this unless someone can explain it to me? And so Philip actually goes and walks through all of Scripture and shows how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that were in the scroll of Isaiah that he was reading. And that guy decides to commit his life to following Jesus. And then he says, I want to get baptized. Where can I get baptized? Philip says, well, there's water right here. So he goes in to baptize him. And here's the end of that story, verse 39. It's kind of strange if you, if you listen to it. Verse 39, it says, When they came up out of the water, so he baptized, and when he came up, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. And Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So did you pick up on that? Philip baptizes him. When they come out of the water, the spirit like teleports Philip away to a different town, which like this really strange, like there's strange things in the Bible. And the stranger thing to me is that the Ethiopian eunuch, he's just rejoicing and celebrating. Like if, if I was with somebody and they disappeared, I'd be a little freaked out. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? But he's so excited. He's, he's going to rejoice and continue following Jesus. And Philip is transported further down on his journey. Now, why do we talk about all that? Because I want us to understand that whenever we are obedient to what the Spirit is calling us to do, God will always redeem that time. Because here's how I operate. I can sometimes have a scarcity mentality and think I only have a limited amount of time and I only have a limited amount of energy. And if I spend it on this thing, I'm not going to spend it on this other thing. And really, if we are obedient to what Jesus has called us to do, he will always redeem the time. Philip didn't miss out on anything because he was obedient to God. God still took care of it and got him where he needed to go. But it was because he was obedient. Sometimes those interruptions, they're what I call holy interruptions. What if the whole reason that Philip was going down from Jerusalem to Gaza wasn't to get from point A to point B, but was to meet that man who was in that chariot? And how many of us, we get so focused on what we're doing and on our plans and on our to-do list that we miss out on what God wants us to do each and every day? And I'll be honest, that that's where I struggle. Like, I go to the gym every morning, and when I go to the gym, there's a guy that I've become friends with over the last several months. His name is Philip, and Philip comes up every time he sees me, and we have a, a short three to four minute conversation, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you work out, you're only supposed to wait a minute in between your exercises. And so the first time he starts talking to me, and I know, like, in the back of my mind, as soon as a minute has passed, like, I'm already thinking, all right, we got to wrap this up. We got to wrap this up. I got to do my workout. I got to get on with the rest of my day. But over the course of the last year, I've got to know Philip and, and hear his story. I've got to learn about his kids and his wife. And every day that he talks to me, God reminds me that this is a holy interruption. Like that's a relationship that God wants me to have. But I have to be willing to say, okay, my workout is not the most important thing right now. It's this relationship that God's obviously trying to facilitate between me and Philip. It's, it's, I have to open up myself to what God has. So here's the question we have to wrestle with. How can I be open to holy interruptions? Like for some of us, it might be easier than others. Some of you are free spirits. And if that's you, I don't understand you at all, right? Like I got my list of things to do for the day. But man, how could we, what, what do we need to open up? Like do we need to open up our schedule do we need, maybe for some of us, it really is just paying attention. Some of us are so focused on what we're doing. If, if you were Philip, you wouldn't have even noticed that the chariot pulled up next to you because you're so focused. Maybe we just need to have eyes open to the relationships, the people all around us. 
Because here's what I believe. When we bring heaven to earth, it's always in the context of relationship. Like we make it so easy sometimes to like disembody how we participate in Jesus' mission. Like we just, we'll give online to church or we'll call this number and donate. And, and those are all fine. Those are good things to do. But the reality is the biggest change that I've ever been a part of didn't happen just because I gave money. It happened because I gave myself to somebody else. It's always in the context of relationship. And so how can we be open to those holy interruptions? And then the last thing that I want to point out that Jesus did is that Jesus trusted the Father to complete the work. Jesus trusted God the Father to fulfill his mission of bringing heaven to earth. If you guys remember two summers ago, I did a series where we walked through the book of Revelation. And so I want to point out something that that stood out to me about that series. But in order to do that, I always give my preface. Whatever you think about the book of Revelation, you're probably wrong about that. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just been kind of corrupted and mistaught so much. The book of Revelation is not about who the Antichrist is. Like, that's not in there. The book of Revelation is not about the rapture. The rapture is not in there. Like, that's not what it's about at all. The book of Revelation is a revelation or a revealing that God gave to a man named John about what was going on spiritually in the world behind the scenes that explained all the persecution that the early Christians were facing. And there's so much we could unpack. If you, you can find that on our YouTube page, the series was The Dragon and the Lamb, which sounds really cool, but then it's really hard to remember that when you try to go back. And I wish I just called the series Revelation, so you go back and find it. But the thing that stood out to me the most, and, and this, I think about this on a weekly basis. In Revelation chapter 19, uh, John gets this picture of this final spiritual battle. And I want to read these verses, Revelation chapter 19. And as I read them, feel free to read along. Or the book of Revelation was actually something that was performed for people. So if you would just like to close your eyes and listen, it's like full of this vivid imagery. But Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11, says, Then I saw heaven opened up, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself, and he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure and white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth, so he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod, and he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Don't you love that vivid imagery? So you get this picture of, of Jesus, by the way, spoiler alert, Jesus on a white horse. And I always point out to people, are, I remember one pastor was like, I love Jesus in Revelation. He's got a tattoo on his leg and a sword in his hand. Notice the sword was not in his hand. The sword came from his mouth. The, his weapon is always his word of truth. He's not actually carrying a sword trying to kill people. So just put your mind at ease about that. But you get this picture of Jesus and he's riding this horse and he's got all his followers behind him. And who is he? 
he riding into battle to face? If you jump down to verse 19, it says, Then I saw the beast, the king of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on his horse and against his enemies. So stop here for just a moment. You get this picture of Jesus on his white horse. He's got his army behind him. Anybody ever seen like Avengers Endgame? This is like the final battle scene. Then on the other side, you have the beast and the kings of the world and all of their armies. It's going to be this big battle they're going to face off. And notice how this battle plays out in verse 20. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence. It goes on from there. So they show up for this big battle, and, and here's the twist. There's no actual battle. Like Jesus just speaks, and it's over. The beast is taken captive which, number one, should be a comfort to us because, listen, Jesus isn't like doing battles with the powers of this world, like he's on the ropes and he's about to lose and all of a sudden Captain America shows up and saves the day. That's not how this goes at all. Like Jesus is going to win the victory and he's going to do it in a moment. The powers of this world do not hold a candle to the power of Jesus. But here's the point that has stood out to me, and this is the thing that always rings in the back of my mind. Jesus was there, not by himself, but with all of his followers. And what did his followers do in this battle? Nothing. They didn't have to do anything. Because it was Jesus who was going to accomplish his mission. And the reality is the reason we bring heaven to earth is not because Jesus is waiting on us and depending on us to do it. Jesus isn't wringing his hand up in heaven because, oh man, they're not doing enough and they're not doing the right things. No, no, Jesus isn't worried. Jesus has invited us to become more like him. And when we become more like him, we will naturally do the things that he did. I think one of the weirdest things about being a parent is when you start to see your kids pick up the same mannerisms and phrases and habits, both good and bad, that you have. And you're like, that's kind of creepy because they're like a little me. But in the same way, when we follow Jesus and we are his child, we start to take on the character of our father and do the same things that he does. And so the question we have to wrestle with is, am I trusting in Jesus? Are we doing all of this work because we feel like we need to prove our worth and our value? Because we, you know, I've said this before, and, and there's some truth to it, but have you ever heard somebody say, you're the only Bible people are ever going to read, or you're the only Jesus people are ever going to see? And, and there's some truth in that. But I also think that puts us in the position of we've got to be people's savior. And that's not at all what Jesus has called us to do. Jesus will complete his work, and he's invited us to be a part of it because doing his work is actually how we become more like him. Like We become more like Jesus when we, when we serve the people around us. We become more like Jesus when we spend time with God the Father. We become more like Jesus when we, fulfill his, when we join him in fulfilling his mission. And so I want to go ahead and open it up. Did we get any Q&A questions? No, no Q&A questions. So just a reminder, you can always text in. Even during the week, I had some people text in like on a Tuesday one time. It freaked me out a little bit. I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? But you can text in at any time. We like to open up that space. I think questions are so important. The reason we do that is not because the answers are good, but because the questions are. I always want us to pursue truth. But here's what I want us to do. We're going to continue and worship this morning like we do every week with the time of communion. We'll also have our prayer stations are open open and available. So if you come up to the prayer station, there's pieces of paper you can write a prayer to God on. That's not like a prayer request. Like, I'm not going to read those. Like, this is just between you and God. Or you can light a candle because throughout church history, candles have always represented that we're offering our prayers up to God. 
But as you spend time in communion, as you spend time with Jesus, which, by the way, is the most important thing you can do today. The, the, the most important thing you can do is not to sing a worship song or to listen to a sermon. It's to sit with Jesus. And as you do, I just want you to think through all of those questions. Right? Like, who can I open up my life to? What needs can I meet? How can I be more open to holy interruptions? And am I trusting in Jesus? And if we ask Jesus those questions, I promise he will be faithful to answer those. And it's a lot. I know, it's four questions. Just pick, pick one of them that you think, like, this is the one I want to ask Jesus right now. And as you spend time with him, he's going to work in your heart and in your life to make you more like him. And when that happens, that we will see heaven on earth. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Jesus, we're so thankful. We're thankful that we don't have to work or earn your approval. We're thankful that you're going to complete your work and you're not depending on us. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I thank you that you've invited us into this relationship with you and that you are working in our lives to make us more like you. And so I pray right now for each and every single person here. I pray for those of us who like to keep to ourselves, that you would help us to be open to the people around us. And you would just bring to mind ways that we could invite them into the stuff we're already doing. God, I pray that you would show us needs that we could meet. And I pray for me. You would help me to be more open to holy interruptions. And I pray for all of us that we would trust you completely. We would put our hope and faith in you, knowing that you are going to bring heaven to earth. And until that day comes, continue to work in our lives so that we would become more like you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Bridgepoint Church Podcast. I hope we've shared something meaningful for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little bit more about us, we meet on Sunday mornings in downtown Woodstock. But we also meet during the week in what we call life groups. And that's where the really good stuff happens for us. If you're becoming a regular listener of this podcast, we'd like to invite you to make it relational, just like we do during the week. Grab a Bible, invite some friends to join you, and turn this into a conversation. If you're already a regular listener and would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting us online at bpc.life and choosing the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening.